is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show and to tonight's First Five. I'm going to guess quite a few of our listeners actually either listened to or read President Donald Trump's speech in West Virginia this week. He was in Huntington, West Virginia, speaking to a rally-style crowd, and it was just uh, a—it was really very much similar to the campaign speeches he made. And what I thought about watching that and thinking about later was that we really in America, we're in a very serious—and there may be some better term for it, but it's like parallel universe view of the government in America— you had people who attended Donald Trump's rally, and they're obviously on board with his agenda, with the changes he brought to the EPA, which has freed up jobs in the coal industry. And then you have the Mueller investigation, the special counsel, uh, Robert Mueller investigation, announcing this week that a grand jury has been convened, which is hugely consequential. I'll explain that in the next segment. But I want to hit tonight on what Donald Trump's speech in West Virginia meant and what it signifies about where we may be headed to a major clash. So, Greg, I hope we have, I think we have, clip two ready, ready to roll. And I am proud to stand before you and celebrate the hardworking people who are the absolute backbone of America. Everyone in this great arena is united by shared values. We believe in God, we believe in family, we believe in country. You know, folks, I did leave on a little bit of the crowd applause just to make clear that Donald Trump is still wildly popular, is not still, is wildly popular with people who supported him. And he went to West Virginia. And among the amazing things that happened during that speech this week, it was this past Thursday, was in the middle of the speech, he called up the governor of the state of West Virginia. You probably all saw this governor, Jim Justice, who publicly Uh, you know, in front of the national television, said he was changing political parties. He's leaving the Democrat Party and joining the Republican Party. President Trump's message, his agenda is resonating with people in West Virginia, and it's not just there. It's in the heartland of America. A lot of people came out for him in the 2016 elections because it was, and I want to say something about the election, which ties into what's happening in Washington. This election in 2016, this was kind of the equivalent of a peaceful, legal, um, a massive uprising by the people, an uprising by people against what they see as their oppressors, meaning by the oppressors, the people who are entrenched, the establishment ruling class in Washington, where masses of voters felt like Washington never listens to us. Whether they were right or wrong, those voters thought that Trump heard their heard their hearts, heard their message, knew what they wanted, and he spoke up and they rallied behind him. The, the specific things the American people tried to rise up against, one was something like, oh, it was just, a, broadly speaking, a taking away of liberty and economic freedom, a kind of watching America slow walk towards socialism, and, and the specifics that people wanted Obamacare repealed. They wanted the federal government control over the health care system gone. 
They wanted to have regulations rolled back. Many of these people don't have jobs because of EPA regulations and other federal government regulations. People saw it as too much control over their lives, too much control over the economy. They, they, and this, it was also just a broad reassertion of the idea of what America means, that we want, we're proud to be Americans. We want to be proud of our identity. We want to have a strong, a strong border, a border that says, you know, in America, you have to come here lawfully. They want an end to lawlessness. They wanted a reinvigorated immigration system that demands that people who want to come to America become citizens, meaning embrace our ideas, our culture. They rejected globalism. They did not want to, they did not want a continuation of what Barack Obama was doing, what Hillary Clinton would have done, was a continued, in their view, surrender of America's sovereignty to a global uh, forces, the U.N. and other and, and treaties. They wanted a sense of America reasserting itself. These people voted for Trump for those kinds of things. And Donald Trump is delivering for them. He is giving them what it is they've asked for. He is trying to bring his promises to fruition. These people are enthused and on board for Trump's agenda. And so when we come back, and we have, I'm going to talk to you a little more about what's happened with Robert Mueller. But when you are those people sitting in that arena in West Virginia or anyplace else, what you see in Washington is a Democrat establishment still running the country. You see Robert Mueller, a special counsel who was supposed to look into whether or not Donald Trump colluded with the Russians to help them hack into the election. And we're over a year now and everyone can see the evidence is not there. But you see growing reports day after day. Now we have a grand jury. Now we're looking into criminal charges. And those people see and they, they also see the Republican Party sitting on their hands, silent, not speaking up for Donald Trump, except with very, very few exceptions. They see Republicans sitting on their hands. They see Democrats still running the party and running, running the country and running, attempting to run their president out of office. And this is just a, um, you know, it is a recipe for disaster in America. It's a recipe for people really, really rising up to say, you know, elected officials, you know, ruling class Washington, we chose Donald Trump and you're not going to get rid of him. You're not going to take away our victory against the establishment. They see establishment fighting back against them, and they don't like it. When I come back, I want to talk to you more about uh, the grand jury, how significant it is, and what it means for this investigation. So don't go away. I'm Debbie Georgias, American Can We Talk. Be right back. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Hi, this is Debbie George Addis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, 
I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? Can you hear us and welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm going to continue my first five. This is my first five going around a second time. You know, I say in the show quite often, you can't have America. I mean, the right idea of America. You can't have America and, for example, socialism. You, you do not have what America is if you also have socialism. You cannot have America and Sharia. You have to choose. You have one or the other. They cannot. You can't have the idea of America and Sharia. You also cannot have the idea 
of America. You cannot hold on to America and have a permanent ruling class that never listens to the people. It's antithetical to the idea of America's founding. And this is how many of those people sitting in that arena, West Virginia, and I'm telling you folks, people around the country, they didn't elect Trump because they love every word he's ever said. They they didn't elect him to be an, an erudite constitutional scholar. They elected him to do the things that he said he would do that they cared about. So how many people see the Mueller investigation uh, into this alleged collusion between Trump and Russia as just a concocted charge, as a knowingly false accusation, and as they watch it go on and on and on and on, they're more and more and more troubled. And I'm with them. I'll tell you this. You know, yes, it matters if Russia did hack into the DNC server Yes, of course it does. It means we have to redouble our efforts to have better security in our computers. But there has been no proof after all of this digging that anything illegal or even inappropriate occurred between Trump and the Russians. And so this, I want to stress this idea that this, this past week, the announcement by Special Counsel Robert Mueller that he had, that has convened a grand jury. In fact, I don't know if he announced it or they just, it was just discovered by the media He's convened a grand jury, changes a lot. Because as this went along for quite a while, people said, well, this isn't really a criminal investigation. It's just a counterintelligence investigation. We're just trying to figure out what happened. You don't have grand juries if it's a counterintelligence investigation. It's now become potentially a criminal investigation. And the idea of what's being investigated, I'll just throw one thing out. The, the, what, is, what has happened with Mueller is he's digging, 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 digging. And, you know, he's now been talking with somebody about a 2008 real estate deal, Donald Trump, where he sold a home he owned in Florida to a Russian. Folks, if, you're, if this is going to go this far, I'm going I'm to play a clip for a second and then tell you how dangerous it is. But we have a, a clip. This is, again, from West Virginia. Donald Trump speaking this past week. This is clip three. The reason why Democrats only talk about the totally made-up Russia story is because they have no message, no agenda, and no vision. What the prosecutors should be looking at are Hillary Clinton's 33,000 deleted emails. And they should be looking at the paid Russian speeches and the owned Russian companies. Or let them look at the uranium she sold that is now in the hands of very angry Russians. Most people know There were no Russians in our campaign. There never were. We didn't win because of Russia. We won because of you. That I can tell you. Okay, that last line was such a good line. First of all, when you listen to that, you just, I mean, if you have any just basic sense of discernment, you're hearing from a guy who didn't do anything wrong, who knows he didn't do anything wrong, and yet The entire first seven-plus months of his administration has had headlines consumed in the mainstream media every day with something about Trump and Russia. And why I'm telling you this is so consequential is this. There's a famous expression many people have heard went back in the era of Joseph Stalin, the just impossibly evil Soviet Union dictator. A quote from the mid-19—he was a dictator from 1920s to 1953. He had a chief of secret police, a truly monster of a human being, named Lavrente Beria. 
And one of the famous proclamations that this chief of the secret police said to Joseph Stalin was, show me the man and I will find you the crime. And that line was actually repeated in a discussion in this era by none other than Alan Dershowitz, who is a Hillary voter, a left-wing Democrat, Harvard Law guy. And he said, this investigation by Mueller is getting to the point, it is, it is proving out what this guy, Lavrente Beria, said. Show me the man, I'll find you the crime. Meaning that no one on the planet could survive a close scrutiny of everything ever done in your entire life by a team of lawyers determined, just dedicated, determined to take you down. Not one person on the planet, including everybody listening. And so, including yours truly, everybody. So I say all this to say it's really, really important to understand that what Mueller was actually asked to do to investigate was any links or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of President Trump, any matters that arose or may arise directly from the investigation, and any other matters within the scope of the, and this is a special counsel statute. I read that to say Robert Mueller has now employed numerous attorneys they all, or virtually all of them, are this, the Hillary Clinton cheerleading squad. They've donated money to Hillary. They work for the Clinton Foundation. They've donated money to Obama and then Clinton. He's employed a team of Democrats. He is looking into old business and real estate transactions. He is digging, digging, digging. And I'm telling you, folks, the American people see this. The American people see that what is occurring is this establishment they rose up to throw out is going to take down their guy, the guy they chose to help overthrow the oppressed ruling class, the oppressive ruling class. This is not going to sit well with the American people. So here's what I think needs to happen. Uh, First of all, if you have any doubt that what I'm saying is true, I urge you to go back and read what Mueller was actually allowed to look into, supposed to look into, and everything he's been diving into. What I think that needs to happen is Donald Trump needs, when he started here at this rally, he started, when I play those clips for that reason, he started pointing out that this is a very, very, he uses the word witch hunt. It is a fishing expedition. That's the term used in law school. We just kind of look and look and find something. This is a man who, and and I'll tell you something else. Mueller is a patriot. He did serve in the Marines, I think in Vietnam. You know, he's not a, um, you know, fly by night, but he's a political animal, number one. And number two, he is someone, and and this was, we had Andrew McCarthy on the show several times, Andy McCarthy of the National Review, brilliant lawyer, prosecutor of the blind shake, who said the problem with the special prosecutor law is once you get hired and once you're appointed, you cease, he didn't say it's about Mueller, he said generally, you cease to look to discover whether or not a crime has occurred, and you seek to dig until you find a crime. I am paraphrasing him, but the point is, and everyone knows this, when you have a mission to report, you're not going to go back and say, gee, I investigated thoroughly, nothing there, folks, time to move on. He's going to find something because it is in the nature of the kind of assignment he's been given. So what Donald Trump needs to do is start pointing this out more and more and more every day. I know that he's, I mean, I will say all this. If it's true, the, a, a, as yet undiscovered, massive collusion between Trump and the Russians, which 
folks, if this were existed, it would have been long ago uncovered. It, 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 everything I'm saying assumes there is no such thing, but folks, there is no such thing. They, if, they, if they had found something simple, straightforward, and clear, we would all know it. We would already be having impeachment hearings. What's happening is an effort to dive and dig and find something on this guy because the establishment does not like him. And they're entitled not to like him. A lot, hardly any Republicans in the House or Senate endorsed President Trump prior to his winning the nomination. And they don't like his, they don't like his whole message to the American people. I'm going to overthrow the establishment because they're thinking, hey, that's me. I like my job. So I'm going to tell you that what Trump needs to do is start pointing this out, pointing out um, all the lawyers, high, and, and every chance he gets. And, and he's doing it in Twitter, in his speeches. He needs to make a big deal about the fact that, that Robert Mueller is far gone beyond the scope of his charge. He's supposed to look into Trump-Russia, alleged Russia collusion. He's not supposed to be digging around every business deal that ever happened. He needs to make clear that they, he and his entire administration see Mueller's investigation as illegitimate. He's gone off the reservation. And honestly, if we had a GOP who understood how irate their base voters are, you would like to see some people in the GOP speaking up and saying the same thing. Speaking up and saying, this is a witch hunt. This has gone too far. This is every single thing the guy's ever done. This is dangerous. And that really, at this point, Robert Mueller is working as a tool of the Democrat Party. He is taking, he is working to help the Democrats take a guy out because they thought they had Hillary in and they don't. Because, folks, if we don't, we're going to have a big mess on our hands come next year. If this goes on and on and Mueller finally gets a grand jury to indict on something that is just tangential and barely connected but somehow arguably relevant, we're going to have it as a campaign issue in the summer of 2018. We're going to have Democrats campaigning on the argument that you've got to elect us because, after all, we are going to do the right thing. and We're going to hold President Trump accountable and we're going to make sure that the law is followed. We are going to lose this unbelievably fabulous opportunity in this country to have GOP control of the White House, the Senate, and the House if we don't get on board and and start attacking the extreme uh, overreaching by the Mueller investigation. I'm Debbie George Ass. This is America Can We Talk? And don't go away because right after the break we have coming up, we're changing subjects. We're going to have Dr. Buddy Matthews in studio to talk about the budget coming up. Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. 
American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. So I got wound up in the last two segments. I wanted to do a little more of an introduction than I was able to do for our guest. We have in studio, which is always so much more fun than on the phone, uh, in studio Dr. Merrill Matthews, or to his friends, Buddy Matthews. And um, he, among many things, is a uh, prolific writer for the Institute for Policy Innovation. He's a resident scholar there. It's a fabulous um, think tank based here in, in Texas, in North Texas, um, he is. He does research for them. He's a health policy expert. Uh, testified. He just is a, a well-known expert and has testified in Congress and talks to all sorts of organizations in the media just about uh, health care. But tonight, before we get to health care, I want to hit the budget thing, which I mentioned in our um, our advertising for the show tonight, because I saw something that Buddy wrote, and the um, website is IPI.org, right? IPI.org. IPI.org. Yeah. Okay. So, first, welcome, Buddy. Thank you for being here. 
Glad to do it. <laughs> okay, so he wrote a piece called The Other Addiction Crisis Facing America, Government Spending. And actually, it's a, why I really like the piece, because there's really clear visuals that I, who'm not a number person, even I can follow. Um, but I really, I think it's a, you know, in, in the light of everything happening in the world and the concerns about North Korea and trying to repeal Obamacare, a lot of people forget that a core conservative concern has been excessive spending in the government. And, and, and I think you were even making the point here that in this article that Republicans um, really have a bit of a, a problem in this arena, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe Democrats more. But, I mean, what is it that drives Republicans to keep spending? Is there a difference? <laughs> uh, votes. I think they'll, they think they'll get more votes from that. But, yes, Republicans have only been a little better on spending than Democrats. Uh, and the, the only thing Republicans re- you can really trust them on is talk a better game than actually performing a better game. And we're seeing that right now. We're coming up to a debt uh, a debt ceiling again. It actually, we hit that in March, but now uh, Steve Mnuchin uh, is doing various types of uh, budget, I don't, you can say gimmicks, but various t- taking steps to sort of prolong that. And now the, uh, the estimate is we can go to some time around uh, early October when he cannot sort of manage things anymore and we'll have to be able to either cut spending dramatically, or raise the debt ceiling. And my guess is we'll see a, a debt ceiling increase. Uh, and, I, you know, I would be okay with that if there was if it was clear indication that we were now going to turn around and start cutting spending. But I don't see that. Even, even President Trump coming out wanting to cut $54 billion in the budget. He offset that with $54 billion increase in military spending. Maybe you can make the case for that for a year or two. But at some point, you got to cut, start cutting spending. Isn't it amazing? Because I know as a conservative and many uh, events I go to, conservatives are always saying we're the ones, you know, we understand fiscal responsibility. We understand you have to run the government's budget like you run your family's budget. And, And so you can't just keep spending what you don't have. But really, in light of all the other controversies swirling around uh, in this uh, in last year's election cycle and really since President Trump came on board, you hardly hear this. I want to go to Trump's budget for a second, though. So Trump did come up with a budget. President Trump came out mm-hmm. several months ago. And, in, and, you know, as you said a moment ago, he had a huge cut in spending, $54 billion, but offset really by uh, military spending, which most conservatives think is needed, thinks right. is needed. But, I mean, is it is it possible it's like a starting negotiation tactic in his part? He's... It, it's a good question that I don't know the answer to. There was discussions back around uh, January that he was looking at the Heritage Foundation, which was proposing uh, something like, I believe, uh, $10 trillion in cuts over 10 years. I mean, huge amount of money, huge amount of money being cut. Uh, and it was going to address a whole lot of programs out there that I think are either inefficient or completely unnecessary. Uh, he came up with a much more modest approach oh, in his in his budget. So I would like to say I would like to hope that that fifty four billion dollars is a good first step. But let's take let's take Social Security and 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 Medicare and Medicaid. The federal government estimates itself that they have roughly. Uh, 11 to 12 percent in those programs that it calls improper payments. And that's not that's not all fraud. But fraud in Medicaid and Medicare is rampant, Debbie. Uh, The New York Times did a uh, did a story back a decade ago on Medicaid fraud in New York and estimated that roughly 40 percent of its Medicaid budget was fraud. Forty percent. Forty percent of it was fraud. They had barkers out there in uh, in the Bronx and other. They had barkers out there saying, if you've got a Medicaid card, come with us. We're going to send you up to see a dentist 
and the dentist was going to be filing one of the one of the dentists they prosecuted, a female in this case, had, if I remember, 961 procedures that she billed for in one day, and that included root canals. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, this is interesting, really, kind of, it's an economic and political question, but we keep hearing about fraud and Medicare, fraud and Medicaid. So, what, I mean, is it that it's too expensive to root out? Is too compl- why, do, why aren't at least conservatives fighting it more? For the longest time, the government, the government and Medicare and Medicaid had what they called a pay-and-chase model. That is, we pay any bill that comes in, and then if we um, find some kind of problem, then we go after it. It got so bad that the Bonanno fine crime family moved from New York to Met to Florida because <laughs> Medicare fraud was so much more lucrative than running numbers and drugs and other things. And if you got caught, the penalty was much less. There was a guy, 60 Minutes, did a story on it. It's on YouTube. I, I'm thinking like six years ago or so uh, where they, they, they he starts, I think it was Ed Bradley, sit down. This is going to make you mad. He's talking to a guy who, who they actually caught. And if I remember right, he was making, he said, look, I was making twenty, thirty thousand dollars dollars a day where are you going to make that kind of money anywhere else and they finally and the only reason they caught him is because he got too greedy if he was willing to settle for ten thousand dollars a day he might have been fine okay and this guy you're speaking was a who is this a doctor or provider or this was a recipient of that who is oh, it? they 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 just simply go in and register as medicare providers and then they start oh. billing medicare for hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, in fraud you know, it isn't. Uh, there's several things that your comments remind me of. One is that you know the, I was trying to get the question a minute ago, but I, most seriously, everyone knows this exists. We talk about it. We shake our heads. We act. But it must either be a politically dangerous thing to investigate, it, like maybe Republicans don't want to spend the you know the political capital talking about really cracking down. Is it's just too expensive, hard hard to ferret out because it seems like we keep talking about it and talking about it. And if that cannot occur. Yeah, if we can't even weed that out, then I mean, then you just want to just cut the program. I, I don't know what you do. I'm frustrated. Look at the VA. Uh, when this the VA scandal emerged a couple of years ago, I wrote in Forbes that the last thing you want to do, you want to address the problem and get rid of the fraud and the problems in the VA. The last thing you want to do is reward this bad behavior by just giving them more money. And I, I predicted at the time they'll probably just give them more money and they pass $16 billion more and said, now go fix the problem. And almost no one, just recently a few people have started to be fired from this, but they've gone on for years with that, with these problems in the VA. And almost no one's been fired. It is simply breathtaking. Okay. Well, you know what? I don't know. Somebody in Washington needs to make it their mission. You'd like one, I don't know who it would be, agency or entity appointed by Trump or appointed by the Congress, just saying your entire mission is to think of everything conceivable to find these people. And honestly, I think part of it has to be very severe sentences, punishment. Because if you think, okay, I get a slap on the wrist and nothing happens to me. I mean, there's no, there's not that much fear in, in engaging it. A story ran a, a few years ago where a lady who had been, and I think this is Puerto Rico, had been convicted of armed robbery, went to jail, got out, and was able to get her job at the VA back. Oh. And the the reasoning of the judge was that a man had been convicted of of child molestation and didn't lose his job. So why would you uh, why would you force an armed robber to lose her job? Okay. 
we could go on on here, but I want to turn to say we only have about a minute and a half in this segment. But on the, on the note that just to schedule what the Republicans are dealing with, so the Senate finally, uh, without doing much of anything, um, you know they are they are on recess for, as of last past past Thursday, I think, and um, the, the House is on recess, so they're they're not work, working right now. And they come back after Labor Day. They have until was it the I guess fiscal year twenty seventeen ends September twenty sixteen ends ends September thirtieth end September right. So in that time, in those three-plus weeks, mm-hmm. they're going to come up with a budget. They're going to make a plan they're for the They're supposed debt. to come up with a budget. I know. <laughs> Remember, the, the standard pattern is they're supposed to come up with a budget. They don't. And then sometime down around November or December, they come up with a continuing resolution to say we're just going to continue funding everything at roughly the same levels we're doing. And this was actually an issue in the campaign. I remember several candidates in the, on the GOP side saying, this isn't the way to run government. You don't run your house this way. We, but it just seems like the country's been consumed with this Russia and Trump and everything and, and North Korea, which is very serious and, and other serious issues. But, I mean, we don't have anyone really, uh, you know, whipping the members into shape and saying this is our job, this budget deal. And it seems unfair to the voters. Which is why I thought, I thought Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell should have kept him in most of August. Now, by law, they actually have to have an August recess. Uh, but you can you can reduce that recess significantly, and they should have kept him in and start dealing with these issues. I would have argued that last December they should have kept them in when they found out we're going to have the White House. They didn't think they were going to get it and start addressing uh, pulling together the Obamacare replace legislation. They didn't do it. Okay, I love you said that because I've said this many times in the show. It should have been the day after the election that both Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell realized, wow, we have it all. We better be on the ground, run, ready on the ground to Obamacare repeal for sure. How are we going to get it done? They just, I, I, it is staggering to me they couldn't do it. Okay, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Dr. Buddy, Dr. Meryl Matthews, Buddy Matthews. And we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the um, budget and the debt and also about whether Congress ought to bail out Obamacare. No kidding. Don't go away. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. 
FLAG has America's back on the cultural battlefield. FLAG is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of FLAG is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact... First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans, what is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Welcome back. I'm so glad you've tuned in to my show, America Can We Talk? I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and I have Dr. Buddy Matthews in the studio with me. I want to talk one more thing. Um, actually, I want to turn to Obamacare because uh, the show goes by too fast every week. Um, in Obamacare, you know, we just have a very muddled, and honestly, the GOP fumbled and fumbled the ball. They mm-hmm. couldn't get the repeal done. But there's an issue that's kind of hanging out out there that is I think really important to understand, it's important to understand from the perspective of this is still something active and assertive that Republicans could do to really help the American public understand why Obamacare doesn't work. And that has to do with the subsidies. So um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because you probably know all this at the top of your, top of your head, but the Obamacare bill called for uh, subsidies to health care, health insurance companies, but really the payments were authorized by President Obama. It wasn't really permitted by the legislation. It, right. was, it was an Obama. So this is Obama acting extra constitutionally, acting like he was Congress. So he's authorizing his federal tax dollars going to insurance companies. 
And so there was a lawsuit filed by Congress Mm -hmm. saying, essentially, you know, uh, you can't do this. You have no authority. We never said you could use tax dollars to pay these insurance companies. These are subsidies to hold up Obamacare policies because otherwise they were fiscally, they were financially irresponsible. No, the insurance companies couldn't do them. So we had a ruling by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the district, so the Federal Appeals Court in, in Washington, D.C., the D.C. Circuit Court, um, ruled that a group of states could intervene in this lawsuit because what's happening now that Obama's out, Trump is in, they don't want to pay the subsidies either. Mm-hmm. And so now you have nobody in both sides of the case wants to have the subsidies paid. These are called the cost-sharing subsidies. Uh, there's actually several types of subsidies in Obamacare, which we're not even talking about here. One's called reinsurance, risk adjusters, and there's some others. This is simply the, the, sh- the subsidy that goes directly to the insurers so that two people who sign up for an Obamacare policy with two different incomes, a lower-income person, may very well have lower co-pays and other things, and that's sort of done through the back end. You wouldn't notice it otherwise. Uh, and these are subsidies at uh, r- roughly $7 billion a year. The Obama administration, what what Democrats decided to do was require this in the law, but they were going to make it an annual appropriation because they thought they were going to control Congress from now on. Yep. Uh, they, they thought people would love this so much, so they didn't actually require the, uh, the, the payment. Uh, when it came up in 2013, Obama figured out, uh-oh, we've got a problem here. They went to Republicans and said— uh, can you, will you, would you mind passing the subsidy for the Republicans said, not only he- no, but hell no. Yep. And that's been the case. So Obama said, we're just going to go ahead and do it ourselves anyway, even though he doesn't have the constitutional authority to do it. Federal court has said, agreed, but had put it on hold. And now Republicans are up saying, well, do we want to do this? And, and Donald Trump keeps coming up saying, I don't know if I want to continue these things. The problem is if he doesn't, insur- more insurance companies, even more insurance companies are going to exit Obamacare if he doesn't do it. Exactly. And here's the question. It's a political and economic question. So you are in you're in the Senate. You are in the majority. You have, you're Republicans. And California is especially egregious. They need a lot of money mm-hmm. from the federal government Absolutely. to subsidize these insurance policies. So California Democrats apparently have convinced some U.S. Republican senators to get behind the idea to keep on paying this unconstitutional to authorize through legislation, but keep on paying these subsidies, which has the effect of keeping Obamacare intact. It's Republicans. Not only that, it just means it fails at a slower pace than it otherwise would. Fails at a slower pace. And you made a point before we came on the air, too. It just it, it, uh, sets the stage for saying this is a future assumed right. cost. This, Obamacare was, was, is, was never going to work. The, at least the health insurance exchanges and so forth. Anybody who knew anything about it knew this thing was going to fail. Um, and it's going to continue failing until everybody, the insurers pull out and there's nobody able to afford it. If you're doing this, you're essentially saying we're going to we're basically going to put this on life support and subsidize it from now on because it is a failed system. What Republicans should do is repeal the thing and create a system that's actuarially sound. They were trying to do that, not successfully. Uh, But that's what needs to be done. And, you know, it's amazing what Republicans I I could guess a few of the Republicans in the Senate who are like who are thinking, well, we can't let people lose their health insurance. We can't let these poor insurance companies not have sufficient money that the kind of. But to me, it is a way to force the point, force the issue for Republicans to say, look, folks, Obamacare, as you say, uh, Dr. Matthews, never intended to work, wasn't going to work. All is going to require subsidies. 
Let it fail. Let it flop. But it's, it's astonishing because Republicans are really kind. They're, they're too afraid to do that, I think. Oh, I, well, I think they are because they'll, the, the Democrats and the media will blame them if it fails. But it's uh, they're going to be blamed for it anyway. Right now, the media is already saying that Republicans are responsible for it failing, even though uh, United Healthcare and some of the others n- announced that they were coming out of the exchanges back in 2015, two years ago. Uh, it's it, it's <laughs> when they thought they were still going to hold the White House. It's it's been failing for some time, and not only was it predictable, a lot of us predicted it. It is an amazing thing. And I just think, you know, the fact that the Republicans could not succeed in repealing Obamacare in this election. I mean, in this year we had, you know, we, we have the House, the Senate and the White House. We should have been. And we were talking on the break, get, gotten our plan ahead of time. But we're in a place where we could not even regret. We have 51 Republicans. What it is that we have in the, in the Senate, 52, whatever it is we have. We could not get with the majority in the Senate Obamacare repeal because already and this is my creepiest, most upsetting thing about Obamacare. It has already slithered its way into the political culture in Washington that, well, we got to kind of take care of the people and take care of the insurance needs and take care of their health care and into the American mindset so that we're just we're afraid to do the firm, brave things that will force the free market forces to come back in place. We're afraid to do them. Some Republicans need a need a, a have a wishbone where their backbone should be. <laughs> That's a great line. I'm going to use that line. All right. And I'll give you credit, too. <laughs> I love that line. Okay, well, the last thing, and I should have mentioned at the start, and I'm sorry, we have my, this is the first Sunday of the month. So we have our Millennial Roundtable here. We have Drew Wicker is in studio also, and he is the president of Young Republicans at SMU, and Jeremy Wolf, who is a recent MBA graduate, Young Millennials. Uh, and, you know, we have like five minutes left here. So I don't know if you have any thoughts or questions. Otherwise, I'm going to dive in and ask about um, ask about what percent of our federal budget is mandatory versus uh, spending. But do you want to talk about Obamacare? Like, what do college kids think about Obamacare? They wish they could keep it forever? Or what do you think? Well, um, one of the things I'm uh, most curious about is you hear a lot of times people talk about how uh, the easiest way to really repeal Obamacare would be to uh, to just defund it, to pass a budget, you know, Trump's budget proposal to just mm-hmm. not, not give allocate money to it. Is that logistically feasible, or is that yeah, you know? absolutely? Yeah, you you have a whole bunch of subsidies in there, uh, both to the insurance companies and to individuals. And if you don't fund those things, then uh, Obamacare goes away. That's a great solution too. I mean, I just I cannot believe the elected Republicans. They don't have faith in the American people. Really meant what they said when they were when in polls, and they also don't believe their own parties agenda that they have run on and demanded the repeal of Obamacare. Virtually every Republican in the House and Senate ran on that. And they have the chance. They're just afraid. I think so. But then uh, to the millennials, on this debt ceiling, this debt that we keep building up, Debbie and I are going to be retired for <laughs> for too many more years. You're the ones who are going to get to pay this. Thank you very much. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's, that's something that uh, – that I've expressed my disapproval with, uh, you know, to anyone who actually, uh, you know, can understand these budgets and whatnot, we, we're, we're being robbed. It's generational theft. Yeah. I, just to add on to that. Yeah. Everybody is very frustrated. I think in our generation, they realize you're not supposed to spend more than you make. I mean, we see that every single day. It's a basic principle in life and people are very frustrated with that. Millennials are very frustrated with that. But with that said, going back to how we feel about Obamacare, I think a lot of people like it. They think it's a good thing. They think it's a nice thing for people to do, for government to come in and take care of us. But 
You know, you explain it to them and just say, look, it's set up like Social Security. Whenever you say that, they realize, okay, that's a system that's designed to fail. That That is failing. You know, I love that point. Obamacare sounds nice. I mean, socialism sounds nice in the abstract. Just free stuff will take care of everything. But this is, goes back to this idea of whether or not the Republicans ought to, ought to be funding the insurance subsidies, ought, ought to be just continuing to pay subsidies that there really was not congressional authorization to do. Um, because it just kind of it carries it versus letting stark economic reality hit home. It absolutely does. Now, on Social Security, uh, that is already bankrupt. You've got something like $7 trillion in there, but there's no money there because we've all borrowed it all. So my generation may be the last one to actually get Social Security, but I don't see millennials saying we need to change this system so that we can just take our own money and put it in our own private account. And when I retire, I've got my own money. I don't have to funnel it through Washington. Yeah, I think that a lot of that's actually just ignorance. It's people that are like, oh, that's not my problem right now. It's just it's a lot of general apathy at the moment. But just ignorance, too. I'm telling you, if they were forced to sit down in a college economics class and have them spell it out for you, here's here's your generation. Here's how much the government has. Here are the rates paid in. I mean, it's it's really is. I do fall, I guess, a little bit millennials for not knowing more, caring more about it. But it's really a little fault of our generation and the professors and parents, just people in society who don't inform young people about this. Because if you did know, if it was your family, you discovered your dad was taking all the money out of your bank account and spending it at the Indian casinos, you know, you might say, hey, wait a minute, minute, that's my inheritance. But you don't feel that way or you don't hear it. Frank Luntz, 20 years ago, did a question among younger people asking the question, uh, do you... you are you more confident that you have Social Security to be around or that there's aliens? <laughs> and, and more people believed in aliens than thought Social Security would be there when they retired. Uh, and that's your, that's your generation. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I, I'm looking over here and me and Jeremy are both like, yeah, that, that's us. Yeah. Um, you know, it, at the end of the day, you just have to, you have to make it personal for millennials to jump in and, act and once it becomes personal for us that's whenever we get involved and that's whenever i think our generation becomes really an unstoppable force okay well you have several um organizations on smu's campus you're part of young republicans you have young america's foundation what's the other one that has the um puts out tables all the time and says socialism was a turning point yeah social uh, yeah the signs say socialism sucks and it's turning point usa <laughs> okay those kind of groups if they would latch onto this honestly it's a stark reality especially if these kids watching their own parents retire realizing my parents are kind of counting on social security they're kind of counting on and realizing wow when i get there it won't be there it just seems like you need a, like a big whiteboard in the center of campus laying all that out for them Anyway, you know what? We're going to run out of time here. I want to thank you, first of all, Dr. Matthews, for joining me tonight. I love having you here. Thank you for having me. And I encourage people to go to the website, IPI.org. Dr. Matthews writes lots of brilliant stuff. And thank you, my young millennial roundtable. We'll be right back after the break.